Our sermon passage from today comes from Hebrew 11, 1 through 40. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he, was, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. 
By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, and whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So now, our Father and our God, this is your word, your truth, your story, your calling, your son, your spirit, your church, your people. Do with us as you will. Humbly, Father, we ask that you would teach us. We ask that you would shape us. We ask that you would give us conviction and boldness and confidence. We ask that you would cause us to love you and your kingdom more than we love ourselves in this world. We ask that you would radically transform us to bear much fruit for your kingdom. God, we pray you would do this now boldly and confidently in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Here at Redeemer, we're working our way uh, through the book of Hebrews, and, and, and Hebrews 11 is a very popular, famous chapter of the Bible, so I thought we'd just kind of move across that in one week and move on to chapter 12, but this is week three. We may or may not get to the end. Um, so for three weeks, I've had Dan find someone to read the whole chapter each week. Katie, well done. Um, but Dan got back at me this week because in the first service, he asked my wife to be the reader. And so since Thursday, I've been getting, are you sure it needs to be all 40 verses? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, all 40 of them. So anyway, um, it was a jovial discussion. Let me just make that clear. Um, there's so much here. And I'm going to argue, and am arguing, that this passage was written to help us know how to live. It was written to help us know how to bear fruit. It was written to help us know how to navigate a fallen world for the glory of God. In many ways, this passage has everything that we need. And we could spend years here trying to understand it. So here's kind of been the main thrust of Hebrews 11. We desire that the people of God see and believe and are moved to be shaped by total dependence on God. 
It's our desire that this passage would cause us to long to join that great cloud of witnesses whose life, faith, words, living, interactions, relationships are shaped by total confidence in God to build His kingdom through us. And that last little bit is what I want you to see this week is that the the saving faith that we just sang of is a faith that moves God's people into living, moving, breathing, acting, doing for the building of His kingdom. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But I want you to walk out of here today not just saying God wants me to trust Him, but God wants me to trust Him with everything in such a way that I live differently than I would if He weren't real. So look back one verse to to chapter 10, verse 39. The author says this, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author of Hebrews, and I would say the Holy Spirit of God who inspired the book of Hebrews, wants God's people, that's us, to understand what it looks like to live, actively live, in dependence on God. And all of chapter 11 is a walk through the Bible to push us in that direction. So, so maybe you're here and you're like, dude, I'm sleepy, or I don't want to be here, or you bore me. I thought for sure on fall break we'd have a guest preacher. That's why I came today. Like, like, by the way, this would be a great day to start Redeemer, like, Florida, because I think everybody's there. We could just start a campus there. But anyway, I digress. So so just get this. The people who know Christ and belong to Christ and trust Christ, that's have faith in Christ, are moved by Christ to live for Christ. The, The idea is that faith is not just about our heads and our hearts and our confident thoughts and our worship services, and our Bible times, and our small groups. Our faith is about everything, always and everywhere. And it would be God's purpose that those who know Him would be actively building His kingdom at great risk. That's really what this passage is about. So, before I shake the apple cart, because I'm, I'm going to shake it today. Before I shake the apple cart, let me give you some foundational confidence so you don't think I'm shaking it too much. Okay. So we Christians in that reformational tradition for the last 600 years have been hammered over the head to love grace and love faith and love dependence on God and go running away from works and action and doing, right? Like that's just kind of been hammered into us. And when it comes to how does a human 
earn a place in the family of God, that is right thinking. Because no amount of works or action can take away our sin. No amount of work or action can make God love us. No amount of of doing for God would cause God to change His disposition of holiness toward us. It's not possible. The Scripture is very clear. The only way for a sinner to enter into the presence, the family, the blessing, the church, the acceptance of God is by faith in Jesus. That is, to be united to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And that's actually what the author of Hebrews believes as well. Look at verse 7. Actually, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructing an ark for the saving of his household, by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. So let's be really clear. The author of Hebrews, along with all the authors of the Bible, believe and teach that the only way for a human to stand right before God is by faith in His Son, Jesus. So you can't earn a place in the kingdom of God. So if you're here today and you wonder where you stand before God, if you're here today wrestling with what does it mean to come into the presence of God, if you're here today with questions about God or questions about Jesus or questions about the Bible, then I would simply point to you to verse 7 and have you ponder this question. How can I find righteousness? That's right standing before God through His Son and by trusting in Him. And I would love, I'll stand over here after the service or at the back door somewhere, but I'd love to have that conversation with you. Look around, there are people all over this room that would love to have that conversation with you. That's that's the major theme of the Scripture. And yet, I want to say this very delicately, that's not the major theme of Hebrews 11. The major theme of Hebrews 11 is that those who know Christ, who have been made righteous by faith, are being exhorted to live lives of action that pursue the building of His kingdom no matter the cost. Again, I'm not trying to to be too bombastic, but I am trying to get our attention. So we're just saying, now why this fear and unbelief? Has not the Father put to grief His spotless Son for us? How sweet the sound of saving grace. That's our theme, right? That's our theme. I'm going to say this as delicately as I can, though. I don't believe that Jesus died so that we would make that our theme. I believe that He died so that in knowing Him and having a theme of His grace, we would be radically transformed to be used by Him to build His kingdom in the here and now. And we've lost that, friends. We've lost the, the radically transformed to build His kingdom in the here and now. That's the part of the Scripture that I want us to recapture today. Because Hebrews 11 is written to help us recapture that. So I have four things I want us to see in the passage. And the first is that this saving faith, this, this righteousness that comes by faith, moves God's people to action. This righteousness that comes by faith moves God's people to action. So what you have in the book of Hebrews um, 
if you know the Bible well, is basically the laundry list of major figures in the Old Testament. It's a a list of the major figures that God used to do God's work throughout the Old Testament. That's the first part of the Bible, if you're new to the Bible. But here's what's really interesting. What's highlighted about them there? It's, It's not really their faith. It's what God did through them and through their trust in Him. Right? Able by faith. So without faith, we can't please God. Without faith, God won't use us. Without faith, we're not a part of building His kingdom. But by faith, what did Abel do? This is verse 4. Made a more acceptable sacrifice. By faith, Enoch walked with God and was taken up and did not see death. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, Abraham said, Sarah, get your purse. we got to go. By faith, Sarah and Abraham conceived. I'll leave that to your imagination. By faith, Abraham offered up Isaac. By faith, Isaac invoked the future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph made provision to get his bones out of Egypt. By faith, Moses chose to be used of God and not dwell in the house of Pharaoh. By faith, Egypt crossed the Red Sea. By faith, they celebrated the Passover. By faith, the people of Israel marched around the walls of Jericho until they fell down. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies and was used of God to deliver the people. By faith, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, they were all used of God to do profoundly impossible things except by the grace of God to build the kingdom of God. Every one of them was used to build the kingdom of God. Which tells us God uses people of faith to do His work in His world. That's what this passage is shouting. It's not saying do, do, do for God. It's not saying go earn God's love. It's not saying... Quit your job and go be a monk. It's not saying any of that, but it's saying God does His work of building His church and His kingdom through His people of faith. Those of us who know Christ by faith are a piece of what Christ is doing in the world. Now here's the beautiful thing about Hebrews 11. If you really wanted a sophisticated out to what I'm saying today, you could say this. Well, but all those people were special. They had a unique place in redemptive history. A redemptive historical reading of the Scripture would say that that we're never going to be Moses because there's only one Moses. To which I would say, that's true, but the author of Hebrews saw that coming and he cut you out of your knees because he kept going. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world is not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all of these were commended by God through their faith. Now, 
Hear me clearly. I studied Hebrews 11 a ton, and I have no idea who he's talking about. No idea. And you don't either, but that's the point. The point is God always and everywhere has done his work in the world, which we, by that we mean build his kingdom, build his church, through people of faith. Which means, whatever God's doing in Hendersonville, Tennessee, I don't know what it is, but He's going to do it through people of faith. And our responsibility is to trust Him. Our responsibility is to depend upon Him. And our responsibility is to say, I want to be a part of it. Let's go bear fruit for God's kingdom by faith. Because that's how He's going. I'm sorry, I just screamed at you. I didn't mean it that way. Christians, God wants us to display the power of His grace, not just in our worship services, and not just in our small groups, and not just in our Bible studies, but in how we live. And you can keep your job and you can make money and you can have a 401k and it's okay to be rich and it's okay to be poor and it's okay to have an easy life and it's okay to have a hard life. It's okay to have too many kids. It's okay to struggle with fertility. It's okay to adopt. It's okay to have kids naturally. It's okay to go to therapy. It's okay to be a therapist. In the midst of all of that, God wants our faith to bear fruit of Him building His kingdom. So wherever you are today, if by faith you are following the Lord to do His commands and to love your neighbor as you love yourself, He will use you to build His kingdom. And that's the invitation of Hebrews 11. Because you know what's going on in this time of this writing? They're about to die. They're about to be persecuted. And so he says, people got sawn in two and God used them because they're about to get sawn in two. He said they were killed by the sword and God used them because they're about to be killed by the sword. He said they went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute and afflicted and mistreated because they were about to do the same thing. And he wanted them to believe that by faith, God, or excuse me, by faithful people trusting in God, God does his work and tells of his powerful grace. So the main number one point is the faith that Hebrews, the whole Bible invites you to, is a faith that is intended to produce action for God's glory. Christians, we have to find a vocabulary of action. Or else we can't take the New Testament seriously. And if we can find a vocabulary for it, then we can pray about it and we can exhort one another and we can talk about it and we'll convince ourselves to believe it. Number two, I want you to note the purpose of their actions. Going all the way back to Abel and carrying all the way through these people that we don't know, the purpose of their actions was to do God's word, to do God's calling, to do God's pleasure, to carry out God's work in the world. 
we might say, to build his church or to build his kingdom or to advance his purposes. But their work was about advancing God's purposes. So the direction of our action is to advance God's purposes in his world. He gives those to us in his word. And so your work, by all means, your family, by all means, your leisure, by all means, it can be a part of advancing God's purposes. But the the action that's being called for here is about advancing God's purposes in the world. Not some self-centered, get more for me out of the world kind of thing. Number three. I want you to note what stirred them in this action. I want you to note what was the, the engine that drove this type of living. And it was a vision that God's place is better. It was a vision that God's, the fullness of God's kingdom, which we have not yet seen, is better. That vision in that direction is what spurred their living for His purposes and His glory. Look at verse 13 with me. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, verse 16, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. He's talking specifically about Abraham and Sarah. But he's saying they went carried by the vision of what God was going to do. And I think what we need to take out of Hebrews 11 is that God will put an end to all the wrong. God will take away all the sin. God will make all the injustices just. God will pour out His mercy. God will make all things new. And in that day, everything we've lost for the pursuing of His full kingdom will be worth it. And so the calling of this passage is to look at where we're going and to be motivated by it. The same thing shows up again. In verse 26. Talking of Moses. Verse 24. Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Why? Why would Moses refuse to be called Pharaoh's daughter, the son of Pharaoh's daughter? He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Do you see what's going on here? We're being told to look for what God has promised and long for it so much that we live our lives pursuing it in the here and now. 
So the energy to lose everything for the glory of Jesus comes from the promise that Jesus will vindicate everybody who loses everything for Him. Let's look to Him. Fourth. Note that we will never experience this fullness in this life. Is God with us in this life? Absolutely. Is God's mercy and grace and power real in this life? Absolutely. Does God answer our prayers in this life? Absolutely. Is God for us in this life? Absolutely. Will God deliver us from things in this life? Absolutely. But the fullness of the vision that captivated Moses and captivated Abraham and pushed them forward, we will not experience it in this life. And often, friends, I think so much of our lethargy and our disappointment and our stuckness, if I can make up a word, is because we're frustrated that we woke up this morning and it wasn't heaven. We're frustrated that we woke up this morning and our bodies were still decaying and sin was still sin and people still got away with sin and unjust things happened to us and this world isn't perfect. And Hebrews 11 says, that's all right. This isn't your home. But you can persevere through all of that because you know it's not. Verse 39. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us. You hear that? He's not saying all of them were stupid to live for God's purposes. Because by faith, they were made righteous and they belonged to the Lord forever. But he's saying in this life, they never received all of it. In this life, Abraham never saw the great nation. In this life, Moses never entered the promised land. In this life, we will never experience the fullness of what it would be like to be around the throne of Jesus, separated from sin and death and pain and hurt and decay and brokenness. And I believe one of the reasons that the Lord will never give us that in this life is because we're such idolaters, we would accept that as a replacement for Him all day long. But He is using this life to prepare us for what He is doing that will last forever. So if we want to live lives lives fueled by faith that bears fruit, we'll understand that this world is not our home and, and it is never going to completely satisfy us. I'm not going to ask you to show hands. I'm not going to ask you to talk about this in your community group unless the Spirit of God leads you to. But I'm just telling you, most of what's debilitating in your life comes from wishing that this world were perfect. It's not going to be. But the Lord will be with us and He will carry us every step of the way where we will trust Him by faith and we can bear fruit for His glory. Now I'm going to read 39 and 40 one more time as a way to conclude this. 
And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. A better interpretation for perfect there would be complete. And the idea is this. The Lord is going to keep doing what the Lord has always done until His work is complete. And the Lord's going to keep doing what the Lord has always done until everyone for whom Jesus died comes to know Him, has been navigated through this world, and is with Him forever. The Lord's going to keep doing what the Lord's going to keep doing until the totality of His people is complete. Now, there's, there, there's two ways that goes for us. One, what that saying is, is that apart from us, it wouldn't be complete. But it's also saying, apart from what God is yet to do, it wouldn't be complete. And so we're going to trust Him. And we're going to be used by Him because He's going to build His kingdom through those who know Him and trust Him and love Him. And He's going to do it until it's complete. And when it's complete, this world is going to be done. And when it's complete, faith will become sight. And when it's complete, the joy will be greater than anything we could ever imagine. So think about Revelation 6. Where we're told the martyrs, all those who've lost their life for the cause of Jesus, are standing before the throne saying, How long, O Lord? How long? How long until you vindicate our death and squash your enemies? How long? And what's Jesus' answer? When the number of your brothers is complete. The Lord's got work to do. And as long as the Lord's got work to do, guess what, friends? We've got work to do. But it's not up to us, but by faith... He's going to use us. So my exhortation to all of us today is, hey, let's get in the game. Let's get in the game. The Bible and the life of Jesus and the cross and the Easter story, it wasn't about creating holy huddles and theology studies. Holy huddles and theology studies are intended to produce kingdom living fruit-bearing, lives that build the kingdom. So let's get in the game. I love theology. I love nerds. I am one. I love sitting around and geeking out on nuance. I love that. But if that's not moving us into the game, we're missing the point. And we can build the kingdom among the nations. And we can build the kingdom right here. And we can build the kingdom in our workplaces. And we can build the kingdom in Hendersonville. And we can build it in Madison. And we can build it in White House and Greenbrier and Gallatin. Hermitage. Who else am I leaving out? I'm trying to get all y'all here, okay? Like, we can do it. Because God is eager to work through the people of faith to build His kingdom. That's why we can do it. Oh, Goodlettsville, I left you guys out. Y'all can come too, okay? I want us to get in the game. Now, I'm going to end this way. I can see the whole worship team lining up back there, which is like, hey, dude, shut up. Okay. Uh, But often when pastors like me preach sermons like this, we end with this like, now go sell everything you have and move to Africa. If that's what God's calling you to do, go. 
kingdom can be built there too. God's already doing it, frankly. But that's not where I'm pushing this. I'm not trying to add extra burden to your soul. I'm trying to add calling and freedom and joy to what God's already doing. Many, 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 many of us need to get out of our own mess and get into what God's doing. Because that's where the stream of blessing is. And if you came here today with a lot of mess, we'll work through it. But let's make sure we're getting into the stream of what God's doing. So I don't preach this as one of those conference messages that you're supposed to like go back and quit your job and change everything. I don't mean it that way. I mean it as a pastor who loves you. This vision of the faith is best. Let's be a people of Hebrews 11. Our Father and our God, I pray that you would work today. Work in us, work through us, work for your name. Help us, Father. Whatever's right and true and good and just and merciful in what's been said today, Lord, make it live. Don't let it die. Help us. Congregation, our life of faith is always lived with our eye on Jesus. And so, as we do each week, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. The bread symbolizing His body, the cup symbolizing His blood. as a declaration that in Christ we have everything. So here at Redeemer, we invite anyone who's truly a Christian. That's anyone who's repented of your sin, confessed your need for Christ, and made that known to the church. We would invite you to take this bread and this cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, please let the bread and the cup pass. Not so much because we're trying to leave you out, but because we want you to know Christ and not just the symbol of Christ. We'd love to help you know Christ today. So these guys are going to pass out the bread and the cup. We're going to sing together. I'll come back in just a minute and we'll take the elements together. <laughs>